And open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We saw last week, as Tom showed us in the, the previous verses, the, the pattern of Christian living the Apostle Paul has given to us, that we are to put off the old self. We are to turn from sin. We are to put on the new self. And why? Because we have been made new. And so as the Apostle Paul continues his teaching, he now, he now applies that lesson, those principles, to, to specific areas of our lives. He moves into the nitty-gritty of Christian living. And really what Ephesians, this series, is teaching us to ask is, how? How does grace transform us? Another pastor, one of my seminary professors, reminds us, we don't live to secure grace. We live out the grace Jesus has secured. We don't live to secure grace. We live because grace has been secured. And so listen to the Word of God as the Apostle Paul challenges the church and challenges us, we who follow Christ, to put off the old, put on the new, because we have been made new. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let me pray. As we've heard God's word, that we would be able to apply it to our lives. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the way that your gospel works, that you are the rescuer, the redeemer. And so, Lord, I pray that, that your word would be applied to our hearts, that as we listen, your spirit would be active, transforming us, strengthening us, Lord, we do pray this day for, for those that hear this gospel but, but having not yet come to saving faith in Christ. Lord, that you would do that, that gospel renewal, that you would transform their lives, that they would have the faith as a gift from you, the faith to believe, that they would turn from sin and repent, even hearing your word proclaimed. Lord, we all come with, with burdens, with struggles, with, with ways that we need you to work in our lives. And so, Lord, give us your peace, give us your comfort. Collectively, Lord, we pray for, for those suffering through the, the disasters we have seen in the news. We pray for the people of Puerto Rico, for the churches there, that they would proclaim the gospel, that the, the needs of, of those on that island and, and others around it, that their needs would be met. Lord, use us, make us generous in meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters. Father, we come because you are the one who offers us hope in you is the true gospel, and so we come in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. 
It's a little disconcerting to see how excited my children get to hear of my childhood misdeeds. This week, my, my mom was telling the kids, my kids, of something stupid I did. And I mean stupid in the most theological sense of that word. Something rebellious, stupid, dangerous. But the bigger tragedy of, of my misdeeds on that day, and you'll have to ask my mom, she'll tell you the whole story. But the bigger tragedy was, yes, the dangerous action, but more than that, the immediate work of trying to cover it up. As a, a first or second grader, I, I concocted this brilliant plan. This plan that was brilliant in my own mind, and yet those of you even are first and second graders who, who are in junior church now, they would have been able to tell me at the time, Kevin, this is a stupid plan. I mean, my mom and Jeff's mom immediately saw through it. They saw the, the lies. But, but even as an, an eight-year-old, I, I knew it was wrong to lie. And now at one level, it's, it's easy to admit being a liar if what I'm talking about is lies of decades ago, the foolishness of, of childhood. But Paul, Paul doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it as in your past mis misdeeds. When he speaks to the church, he's speaking in the present tense. Church, put off falsehood. Church, in your anger, do not sin. Church, stop stealing. His commands are for us now. And even as, a, even as an eight-year-old, I knew that lying was wrong. It's just I was hoping to avoid punishment. I was trying to, to protect myself, to preserve myself. And, and you know what the problem is? I'm a much better liar now, right? Much quicker on my feet. I can actually anticipate better those times that I'm going to need to protect myself. I can, I can even try and avoid the conversation altogether. I can quickly deflect. I'm a much better liar now than I was then. But I still lie for the same reasons. Not because I don't know that it's wrong. I mean, it's in the top ten. Do not lie. It's not because I don't know that it's wrong, but it's because I'm still working to protect myself. Maybe now not from the punishment of childhood, but from the punishment of you thinking less of me or you knowing the worst about me. It's still selfish preservation, selfish self-protection. And so I still need the apostles' commands here. But more than that, more than that, I need what the, what the Apostle Paul is doing for us and showing us the motives that I should have, the motives that we should have to obey. Look, look with me at the, at the way this, this passage works. Let's, let's look at verse 25 sort of as our, as our template. We, we saw in, the, in the, the verses which came before us and the, the, the pattern that Paul gave, put off the old, verse 22, put on the new, verse 24. Why, verse 23? Because you are being made new. You are new. Okay, that was last week's sermon. But, but now what Paul is doing is showing us this pattern. Look at verse 25. Therefore, okay, he's connecting it to what he's just said. 
Therefore, in light of what I've just taught you, put off the old, put on the new, because you are new. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Put off falsehood, put on truth. Why? Because we're made new. We are all members of one body. And so, so I want to walk through this passage just following the outline that, that Paul gives us. The, the examples that Paul gives of, of how this works in our lives, what he's doing is he's telling us what not to do, what we should do, and why. Paul is motivating us with the hope of the gospel. Paul wants us to act and obey and act in holy ways because of the grace that is ours. He's showing us the power of the gospel at work in our lives, the, the ministry of the Spirit, the power of God right now. Put off the old, put on the new, because you are new. And so we, we've seen it there in verse 25. We are to live a life free from falsehood, and we're, we're going we're gonna to follow Paul's patterns and just use some headings that, a, that another pastor offers us in his commentary. We are to live li- a life free from falsehood. Put off lying. Put on truth. So you don't you didn't walk in here today unsure about whether or not lying was right or wrong. Even if, even if you don't agree with, with the biblical principles, even if you wouldn't say it was God's standard, you instinctively know that lying is wrong. Maybe not your lying, but certainly when people lie to you, you know that's wrong. You understand the, the, the problems that it can cause, but you also know why you do it. To avoid pain, to make yourself look good, to protect yourself, to preserve yourself, to, to maintain some, some sense of authority or position. But what is Paul telling us to do? He's, he's saying, put off lying, put on truth. And so we need, we need both of those commands. Because to just, if Paul just came in and, and ran through a list and said, stop lying, stop sinning in anger, stop stealing, You and I would say, hey, Paul, we actually kind of already have that list earlier in the Bible. God's already given it. We we understood that it was wrong. We need both the the negative prohibition, what we should stop, and the the positive exhortation of what we must do. But, But Paul is going deeper because he's telling us why. And so why must we speak the truth? Look look at the end of verse 25. Because we are all members of one body. See, the body cannot function if you don't speak truth. The body, the body of Christ, the church, it's an image that Paul uses. He's already used it in in this letter. It's it's the description of the church at work. And think of of how that image would work. How much destruction could come if, if the hand is about to touch the hot stove and the eyes see it but do nothing. See, that's the danger. If you and I don't speak truth to one another, then we're putting each other in positions to, to, to be hurt. But what's the problem? Who feels the pain when the hand gets burnt? Everyone, because you are one body. And if the body isn't functioning, then the body isn't doing the work that God has called us to. And, and remember, when Paul is talking about the body of Christ and its purpose, its function, He's not merely saying if if you don't speak truth to each other, then on Wednesday, when you have ministry that has to get done, it's just not going to go very well. No, he is saying that. Wednesday is not going to go very well if you're lying to each other. But he's saying more than that because what is the body of Christ? 
The body of the Christ is the the church on galactic, global, cosmic mission for Jesus. That's chapter 3. That you and I are the, the messengers of the gospel. You and I are the ones bringing the work of Jesus to the world. And so if you and I can't speak truth to one another, you and I will not fulfill the purpose that God set before us. So you and I need to get at the level of motives. We begin to say, my self-preservation isn't worth destroying the mission of Christ. My self-protection isn't worth, worth the gospel being lost in the church. I must speak the truth. I must put off falsehood so that the body of Christ will be active and effective in the world so that the gospel will go forward. And Paul continues, we, we should live a life free from falsehood, but, but also, a, verse 26, a life free from anger. In your anger, as Paul is quoting Psalm 4, in your anger, do not sin. Now, it's helpful that he doesn't just say never get angry because that's a stoic way of looking at the world where you just you see injustice and you say okay sarah sarah whatever will be will be it's just how it is no that's not a biblical response a biblical response is to see injustice and to get angry about it but but where should you be starting in your own heart anger at your own sin revolt against your own sin but most of the time most of the time, you and I, when we get angry, it's, it's not for great global causes. It's not for great injustice. It's for personal affronts because I feel slighted, because I don't feel like I've gotten what I deserve. And you and I, we're, we're, we're told to, to just to deal with our anger. Some of, us, some of us, just by pushing it down, if you can just suppress that anger, that's how you should deal with it. But what's the problem? You and I who have attempted that kind of pattern, what eventually happens? You can't keep it down, can you? And then your, your anger explodes. Or, or we've been told, just, just, just set it aside. Just, just put it aside. Just you know, go punch a pillow or go run a mile. or go. And sometimes, sometimes you might actually need to burn off some physical energy. But, but that's not enough either because you've not really dealt with the anger. In your anger, do not sin. And Paul says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't wait. Don't push it aside. Don't push it down. Deal with it right now. Now, he doesn't mean before you fall asleep, every conflict in your life must be completely resolved because you know the pattern. Perhaps you've seen it in your marriage where, where there's conflict and you decide we, we have to resolve this. You know that the later the hour gets, the less likely you are to solve the problem, right? But, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. Well, the sun's been down for hours. And so sometimes what you have to do is you have to say it's, it's time to sleep. It's a commitment to one another to, to love each other. What is Paul saying? Deal with your anger now. He's not expecting that you can solve every problem in your life in the next 12 hours. No, and... In my house, I am the one who generally wants to solve the argument now because the later it goes, the greater advantage I have because I'm a night person and she's not. I certainly don't want to wait till tomorrow when she's thinking clearly and I'm not. See, but that's, that's no way to deal with anger. And, and why? why? Why in my anger must I, must I not sin? Why must I put off this sinful response? 
Look at the reason given to us. It might not be the reason we were anticipating, but look at the reason in verse 27. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. You, you, you've perhaps heard the saying of, of Archimedes, the, the great mathematician, that give me a lever long enough and a place to stand, and I can move the whole world. Right? It's basic physics. A long enough leather, lever, a place to stand, and you can move the world. Well, see, Satan has a lever. He has genuine power. If you give him a place to stand, if you give him influence in your life, and how do you do that? You let anger control your heart. You let uncontrolled, unbridled anger take over. You let anger that's disproportionate with the circumstances control your heart. You let anger continue unchecked then what are you doing? You are giving the devil a foothold. You're giving him a place to stand. You're giving him power over your heart. But as we, as we struggle with anger, we know, we know the problem. It's not enough for me to just tell myself, stop being angry. It's not enough to, to sort of in the moment, in the frustration, like a, like a toddler in a tantrum, to just say, stop it! Right? It doesn't, it doesn't work. What do we need to do? We need to look to Jesus. We need to look to the one who rescues us, the one who deals with our anger, who deals with our, our, our vile hatred of himself. How? On the cross. We need to look to the cross to deal with our own sin. Jesus is the one who has destroyed sin. And so, so we're meant to live a life free from falsehood, a life free from anger. And, and Paul continues. He says in verse 28, we should live a life free from theft. And it's almost as if Paul just keeps going with example after example so that you and I can't say, I am so glad so-and-so was here for this sermon because they really needed to hear this. No, what, what does Paul keep doing? He just keeps piling on example after example so that if the, the last couple didn't hit you, you felt like, oh, I could kind of dodge those, those arrows coming at me. That right now, we, as Paul keeps shooting at the, at the different areas of your heart, these are going to hit. And so Paul says in verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. Put off stealing. But what must he put on? He must work doing something useful with his hands. Now again, this, perhaps this surprises us. Is stealing really a problem? Like an active, present tense problem in the church in Ephesus? I mean, because Paul doesn't say, you know, you used to be doing these kinds of things. He says, those of you in the church stealing, stop stealing and start working. But yet, you and I, you and I, when we, when we see Paul's reason, we begin to realize that we too might be guilty. Put off stealing, put on work. Why? Look at how the verse ends, verse 28. That we may have something to share with those in need. See, why are we called to active work? Because you're, again, you're part of this body. There are others in desperate need. You should work, not merely to provide for yourself, but so that you have something to share. No longer steal. Stop stealing. And yet you and I know how, how easy it can be to steal from God by withholding what belongs to Him because I might need this. Why would I, I give it now? I might need it for myself, for my, for my family. We, we, we withhold it to, to protect ourselves. We, we refuse to, to, to give generously 
to meet the needs of others because we think, well, you know what? They just don't deserve to have me meet their needs. You know, I've had experience with helping people in need, and it usually ends pretty terribly. And so, I'll keep it for myself. But do you know what you're doing? What you're doing there is stealing from God. It's all His. Everything you have, every gift, every skill, every talent, your health, your time, your energy, is a gift given to you by God. All of the work you do is work in the world that God has made. Everything that you have belongs to God. And so when you withhold it, according to the commands of, of Scripture, when you won't meet the needs of others, you're stealing from God. Now, now I know that when a pastor starts to get himself worked up about money, do you think, this is exactly why I hate coming to church? Maybe even the reason that you don't want to be sitting here today. Well, if, if, you, if you're not a follower of, of Jesus or you're just visiting here, then in some sense, you're off the hook. Because again, who is Paul talking to? The church. And so if, if, if you're not sure about, about all of this, then, then yes. Do I think it would be useful for you to be kind and compassionate and generous? Absolutely. But the command, the command is coming to those of us who claim to follow after Christ, who, who have received grace. Do you see what, what Paul is saying? Is You are recipients of extravagant generosity. All you have to do is, is hold what God has given you with, with open hands. Let his generosity pour through you. See, is your life filled with generous giving? Or is it easier to save for yourself, to spend on yourself? Or are you willing to give to those in need? And as we see those in need, we, we see ourselves. There's those desperate for God's forgiveness, desperate for grace. And what did God do for us? He sent his son who gave everything for us. Now Paul keeps, he keeps going. In verse 29, he, he tells us we're, we're to live a life free from rot. Now, now, now let me read the beginning of the verse. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now that adjective, unwholesome, is elsewhere in the New Testament used to describe something that is literally rotting, like a, a decaying tree in the Gospel of Matthew, or, or rotten fruit, the kind of fruit that you would grab and, and immediately drop because of, of, of how gross that it was, or, or literally used in the Gospel of Mark to describe fish that are rotting, that have sat in the, the hot Middle Eastern sun and are rotting. And so what is Paul saying? Do not let anything rotten come out of your mouths. Now, he's speaking, yes, of course, about foul language, about harmful language. But it's, it's more than that. It's, it, it, we, we, we saw in verse, verse 25 that he was speaking about the distinction of, of speaking that which is true and, and avoiding that which is false. Here he's, he's saying, speak that which is good. Put off that which is evil. He's, he's pushing us even further than we were in, in being true and false and saying, put off that which is rotten and put on. Look at how verse 29 continues. Only speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Why? Because it's going to benefit those who listen. When you speak with, with compassion, with goodness, with truth, so we saw in verse 25, then you can benefit those, even those merely listening in. 
But, but Paul goes even further here, even further with his reason why. Why must you put off that which is rotten and put on that which is helpful for encouraging others? Look at verse, look at verse 30. He says, why should you do this? So that you would do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, because to speak in, in rotten language, to, to speak in harmful ways, it's to disrupt the community. And to do so is to oppose the work of the Spirit of God. And now Paul's getting at the, the heart of the gospel. Because the Spirit of God is the one who has, who has sealed you. The one who has, who has placed the, the impression of God upon you. The one who says, you belong to God. You are meant to show God's character. And God has, by his authority, said that you belong to him. He will protect you. You are his. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. That coming day when we will see the, the fullness of the work of Jesus Christ on display. What does it mean that, that we've been redeemed? It means that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. He paid the price. And what is the price? What is the price of your redemption? What is the price that was paid so that you can speak truth, that you can speak goodness, you can build others up? It is the death of Jesus himself. That's what Paul is saying. Stop speaking in rotten ways. Speak in true and good ways. Why? Because the Savior himself redeemed you. Do you see that that motivation is actually getting then at the heart of the issue? Because I didn't lie. I don't speak in harmful ways because I didn't know they were wrong. Yes, there are, there are times. If you have toddlers at home, that you are probably teaching them some of these lessons. But even some of these, even some of these, they already know. They already know the, the difference between true and false as, they, as they're quick to lie to you. Did you take that cookie with chocolate and crumbs all over their face? No. See, Paul is, he, he's, he's not just reminding us what is true, what is false, what is the right way to act, what is the wrong way to act. He's actually then digging deeper into the motives. See, why would you do this? To protect yourself, but Jesus didn't protect himself. Why would you, you, you lie to others for your own advantage, but Jesus, he lived a life for the advantage of others? Do you see what the gospel is doing? It, do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The gospel is at work. Put off the old, put on the new, because you have been made new. And then Paul, in these final verses, is showing us that we must live a, a life free from bitterness. He, he, in these, these final verses here of, of what I read this morning, it, 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 it's like they come over us in a wave. Look at verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That's a terrible verse. I mean, just think of the, the vices, those sins piled upon themselves. And he's not speaking. He's not at, at a gathering out in the community. He's writing this to be read in the midst of a worship service, to be spoken to believers, those who have been redeemed, rescued. And he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. So you and I might not like those kinds of descriptions to describe our actions. We'd, we'd choose softer terms. 
You know, it's, it, you know, it, it wasn't really anger. It was disappointment in the circumstances. It, it, it wasn't really, really malice. I was, I was, I was an advocate for the truth. See, you and I are quick to justify our actions, but what is Paul saying? You have been redeemed, and so if you live a life in opposition to the Spirit of God, then you are one who is, who is living with full of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. Put it off. And what does he say? Put on kindness and compassion. Look at verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Forgiving one another. Now, you and I know how hard forgiveness can be. You and I see it in, in our anger, and even as the, as the sun sets of, of letting anger control us, we know how hard it can be to forgive others. See, all of us, all of us love the concept of forgiveness. C.S. Lewis says it this way, every one of us thinks forgiveness is a great idea until there is someone standing in front of you who needs your forgiveness. See, forgiveness in the abstract is wonderful. Forgiveness in reality, when you have to forgive someone who has harmed you, that's difficult. Because they should pay. They should be punished. They should repay me for all that has gone wrong. They deserve whatever comes to them. And as true as those statements may be, and as much as you, it might be right for us to continue to pursue justice, you and I need to remember that if we only get justice then you and I don't get forgiveness. Because what does the apostle say? What is your reason to be kind and compassionate to forgive? Look at how he, he, this chapter ends. Look at the, the end of verse 32. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Again, Paul is coming back to the gospel as the motive. The gospel is the power. Jesus is your hope. He is the one who has forgiven you. And even in your struggle to forgive others, even in, in the bitterness that, that creeps into your heart, even in the, the, your unwillingness to forgive, the, your unforgiving spirit, what does God do? What can he do? He can forgive even that. Even as you bring that to him, that bitterness, your unforgiveness, even that is forgiven by Jesus. Again, consider the work of Jesus, that just as in Christ God forgave you, what does Christ say? When your hatred and my hatred, your malice and mine, your anger and mine took Jesus to the cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. So you and I can forgive others because when we compare the forgiveness we've received to the forgiveness that we have to give, we have been forgiven of much, and so now we can forgive others. We sinned against the, the holy, perfect creator of the universe. And so, having been forgiven, you and I can forgive others. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Hector Black faced the horror no parent should face. His daughter was murdered by a drug-addicted burglar. Hector wonders what kind of monster can do such a thing. He wants this man to suffer. The murderer is caught, brought to trial, convicted. 
After he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, the family was given opportunity to speak to this convicted murderer. Hector describes those moments. He, he says, I was saying how much we loved Trish, how much she meant to us, and how wounded we were by what had happened. He then continues by speaking directly to the murderer. I hate with all my soul what you did to my daughter. But, but as, he, as he tells the interview, interviewer, he says, but then somebody turned me around to face him to say the last part of my written statement. I was looking right at him, the murderer, in his eyes, and I said, I pray for all of us who have been so wounded for this crime. I pray that we might find God's peace. And I pray that also for you. As the years of this life sentence passed, Hector received a letter, Dear Hector, from the murderer, describing that moment in the courtroom, transforming him. He had confessed to the crimes. He asked for forgiveness, and Hector began to correspond with him. As time went by, Hector goes to visit, to tell him face to face that he's forgiven him. Hector reflects on the, on the power of forgiveness. This is what he says. In a way, I knew I had to forgive. Because I don't know how many times I've said the Lord's Prayer, you know? Forgive us our sins as we forgive. Well, that means forgive. I mean, that really means forgive. See, Hector's words, Hector's example, show us the power, the power of the gospel to motivate us to forgive. But again, conceptually, we'd all agree. But who is it specifically you need to forgive? Who do you need to sit down with face to face? Who do you need to pick up the telephone and call this week? The gospel frees us. You and I are told to, to put off sin, to put on the new self, because you and I have been made new so that we can live a life free from falsehood, free from anger, free from theft, free from rot, free from bitterness. You and I are called, commanded to forgive one another. The power to forgive is the gospel. Jesus forgave you. Now forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God forgives you.